welcome to the Better Future podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me is... Kirsten Mann. I'm Global VP of Product Experience for Oracle's Construction and Engineering Global Business Unit. This podcast series is a special series where we focus on design in the boardroom. It's a series of infield recordings and live panels with design giants from around the world, and we discuss how boards are leveraging design to accelerate economic outcomes. In other words, how is design being managed up, down, and across the organisation? In this episode, Mark talks with Annalie Killian from Sparks and Honey and explores how signal intelligence is helping to accelerate design-led organisations organizations. I'm here with Annalie Killing. Hello, Annalie. Hi, Mark. Nice to have you back in New York. Now, we're here at Sparks and Honey, and I'm sure there's a whole range of people who don't know what Sparks and Honey is. Can you help us out? Uh, Sparks and Honey is a cultural consultancy, and we, le- we use tech-led cultural intelligence to help companies Uh, make sense of and take advantage of accelerating change. One of the things that uh, impressed me when I was last here and I saw what you were doing was actually looking at it as a a signals that uh, there's some major signals that are coming through and there's also some uh, nascent signals there, but using it very similar to signals intelligence that's uh, used in, say, military sensors, Mm -hmm. which is we need to actually start to pick up everything, analyse it and then work out where something is significant and where's the noise. And I suppose that's where the expertise in the consultancy comes on where the signal to noise ratio is yes um, we have um, built a cultural um, intelligence platform or an action learning system which we call Q over the last seven years and Q um, we're we've accelerated the technology that we use you know particularly uh, machine learning to now analyze um, up to 100,000 signals a day and apply algorithms um, to that. Now, the algorithms are literally taught and informed by humans. Uh, so um, that's where, you know, we have this, this power combination of humans with machines. And your Q product is moving into the C-suite, into the boardroom to help give them uh, dimensioned the intelligence going through where the and that's one of the very interesting things that we we know organizations that are data-led and actually have measurable uh, signals intelligence that they're going to be able to make better decisions rather than just the gut feeling i think we're we're well and truly past the era of the gut feeling letting people win well i think there is in many cases um a combination of two things and that is better decision-making with accurate, uh, up-to-date data. But I think the thing that is really great about Sparks and Honey system is that it doesn't only look at uh, vertical industry data. It looks across the horizontal. It looks at the intersection of industries and trends and that sort of thing. And the system is able to literally spit out, you know, the intersection of opportunities and um, also consumer behavior, you know. So I think it's this this horizontal pattern analysis as well that makes it absolutely amazing. And I think there you've hit on the important word, which is the pattern side. We, we know that 
people who can master pattern identification, um, pattern synthesis, they're the ones who are helping to find out where those nascent opportunities are and also where something is beginning to turn and maybe it's time to exit your position because you're getting the signals that either there's problems in that space or the underlying interest in it has disappeared. This is a absolutely spot on trend. Um, I think I mentioned to you before we started the recording, the research coming out of MIT's Center for Information Systems Research. Uh, Australian Peter Wheel is actually, you know, at the head of that. But what is so interesting is that digitally savvy members on boards have a far greater sense of spotting emerging patterns and um, having a sense of when to act. That action can take the form of you're either going to commit resources now and go full out or now's the time to experiment or let's partner and, um, you know, manage risk that way. And that that is because they lean in to active learn, test and learn all the time. But this ability to understand patterns and detect the change in the landscape really early is what leads to this action and this ability to make better decisions faster. We also, we, we discussed that there's actually a threshold, isn't there, on the boards uh, to see where that optimal performance is coming. If they've got one data savvy or digital savvy person on the board, they're nowhere nearly as fast to accelerate and, and to do the, the transformation as if they've got three. And that, that's a very interesting thing that we know that you, you need to have a cluster of these people who understand because board makeups is all, all about centres of excellence and if the, if the new trend is to actually be strong in the intelligence and the analysis of where, of where the company and markets are going, you don't just want one voice. You want to have multiple people who can then bring the synthesis between those three different minds. Yeah, I mean, I think that work... Um or that insight is also led by uh, research around minorities because it also holds true for uh, women on board. So, you know, to really get the benefit of diversity of thought, you need to have um, a critical mass to have a statistically significant impact. And it's no different in terms of having digitally savvy board members. So if you want the benefit of diverse, diversity of thinking um, based on gender or race, as well as tech savviness, you need um, a minimum of three people um, in a board of say 12. A couple of months ago, I was in Paris talking at the Paris Design Summit about um, fast-moving innovative companies know how to out, outplace key staff members at the right time. And if we go think in a sporting analogy there, it's actually you might have somebody who was able to play a particular game, the game's moved on and they're now a liability. And I, I see the same thing happening in organisations that if they're able to understand that there's a shift in their market, a shift in their strategy, that they then start to go and work out what's the makeup of their of their lead team, but knowing when to shift is probably the the most interesting thing. Yes. 
And what I've seen from Sparks and Honey is that you're now bringing actionable insights of when might be the time to change your position because the market's moved on. And what's the th what are the things that you should be leaving behind? And that's one of, that's one of the big challenges is out of our product suite, out of our offering, what is it that's no longer on the boil, what's come off the boil, and what can we take forward? And to hear that you can actually get that intelligence, I think it's a very interesting offering. Well, um, you're going to join our culture briefing today. And um, since the last time you were here, we've sort of changed the format a little bit, literally in the last week or two. I don't know if you've read the Deloitte Insights piece on Sparks and Honey, which basically... Um, uh, talks about us as, you know, having this competitive advantage of constantly iterating. So we, we if we have an inkling that something needs to change, we change it and we test and learn. And, you know, we literally um, apply that methodology to our operating systems. But coming back to your question around having this ability to see when something is shifting. So in the latest iteration of Q, our um, active learning system, we have um, evolved it very, very significantly in terms of uh, driving specific insights. For example, we have um, a platform around trend scoring, which basically provides you know, a big picture trend and it can shift on a timeline to say this is where this trend is now and playing it out over 12 to 18 months, this is where we predict where it's going to go. And it, it also shows it in context and relative to other trends. And um, I hope that in the briefing today you'll be able to see the application of that particular way of looking at data, of cutting the data, but that's just one of eight different lenses in which we can actually cut the data. And I've been, I've been interested hearing in the, um, coming from risk industries, uh, underwriting insurance, their nascent culture is to be able to go and actually do scenario planning. And so they're actually got very sophisticated models to help them to make decisions about what's changing and, and, and what's evolving in the market. And if, if I go think of the car insurance category, car insurance for, for domestic cars or uh, you know, home cars was very simple. It was somebody bought a car, they drove it to work, they drove it to a station, they, they used it on the weekend. Now that car is used for their Etsy shop, so now it's a commercial vehicle as well as, as a domestic vehicle. It's used for them doing some um, Uber driving at a particular time, and this same vehicle now has four or five different risk categories or scenarios that they have to consider. And by understanding that and seeing those trends that are coming through, they're able to go and then iterate products to actually come up with something which is both market leading but also risk offsetting for themselves because the last thing they want is a book that has 30 or 40% of their underwritten risks that's actually the wrong shape. Yeah. I mean, this this is uh, an example of very forward-looking um, customer behaviour-led innovation. Uh, I remember not long ago... Um, buying a Mercedes in 
Sydney in Australia and I bought a black car because I was interested in experimenting with um, some Ubering myself, particularly, you know, the model of female drivers for female customers. And um, the cheapest insurance was through Mercedes-Benz and there was absolutely no way in terms of that policy that I was allowed to use it for any kind of um, passenger service uh, unless I paid an enormous premium. And I really wanted to just pay that on a just-in-time basis when I used it. It didn't make sense to constantly have that burden. Um, and same thing if I did want to use it for a commercial uh, purpose. I just want to pay um, as I use it. And that was an example of a totally inflexible policy. Um, when I pointed that out to the dealer, the dealer just looked at me with blank um, eyes like what are you talking about women and I was uh, I wasn't expecting that we go down this path but I'm just thinking about what then happens so so you've got a desire that you want to get in part of the, the gigging economy you've gone out and you've purchased the vehicle and now you're finding the products that are on offer to you aren't working it's likely that either to your friends through social media or maybe in your professional network on LinkedIn that you're going to express your frustration yes that's a signal. Yes, it's a signal. And that's the sort of thing that's really important is to work out how do you aggregate those signals so that you can then begin to turn around and see that coming through. And we have those tools. So we do a lot of social listening. So we analyse conversations and that's part of the the services that we deliver and the insights that we deliver to um, our clients is you know, here are some white space opportunities, but also this is where consumer sentiment, you know, would say you either have the brand permission to play or you don't, or if you go, here are the watch outs. So there's, um, um, it's, it's kind of this comprehensive package that you get. It's not just what you need to do, it's how you need to do it. And I think there, you know, if I imagine that a little bit further, that uh, you're picking up the signals that are coming from the frustrated end customer, which says there's unmet need. No doubt there's other signals that are coming from Uber or from Lyft, coming from regulators talking about the amount of vehicles that are in the market, which then gives you some dimension for the product. And before you know it, if you've got the right suite of tools, you can under understand how big the opportunity is. You understand that there's an opportunity there and now you can start to make some decisions rather than spending an inordinate amount of time to go do that hunting and research yourself. We can go even beyond that. We can also um, inform our clients in terms of what patents are already in the marketplace, where venture capital deal flow is going and what might be interesting M&A or partnering opportunities. So you're, you can accelerate the speed with which you can act on an opportunity um, with this layer of information. Okay, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm now getting an impression that I'm sitting on a board, I'm now well informed, I'm almost in a war room where I've got the signals that are coming in, I understand the size of, of the opportunity that's out there, I've then got an armory of what patents uh, I need to deal with, who's, who owns the patents, are they people are actually that we already have relationships with. I can start to make some very fast decisions here. Whereas if I go think the 
older way that that was done, there was a very long gestation period and even in some of the product cycles, that, that wouldn't have been covered, some of the elements about intellectual property, about trends. Often products were developed and then we went out and tested them. So loading this up at the front end makes a lot of sense. Mark, we can now process more data in one week than we had in the last five years of our existence. So that is why, you know, take this tech-led cultural intelligence is a killer tool for taking competitive advantage in an age of accelerating change. There is no ways that mere humans can keep up with this and pass through, you know, the volume of information. And, and that is the benefit of arming your boardroom with AI um, uh, technology that when you add it to the wisdom and experience, you're really punching above the competitors. We had an interesting conversation with both uh, people involved with Nike and also with New Balance. What's interesting with those brands, both of them are boardroom design-driven the board's are very savvy about the uh, trends that are taking place in the marketplace, the new opportunities that are existing there. And there's there's no hassle where they have to go and convince that this is the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. It's actually how can we go as far and as fast and as appropriately mm-hmm. as we can. And so, uh, you know, I could see organisations who have already said, well, there is a different gameplay here. We want to be... We want to have insights which are which have substance behind them. We want to have the machine learning because it's much faster than having people doing it. You've got a very different breed of executive and also board member who's doing this, which comes back to those the MIT study of, well, there's some people who have got the talent and the skills, the, the underlying capacity to act in this way and there's other people who don't have those skills and I think that that's very important that people can actually work out how to build the stack of the tools that they've got, the executive um, suite that they understand how to go use those tools but also if the board doesn't understand it, they're not going to be able to drive the investment that they're making in both the talent and also the intelligence resources to bring them the results thereafter. So it's a very important um, say stack alignment that's there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, having worked in large organisations and you know dealing with you know having the need the need to change. If you have a board member that nudges, um, or at best two or three that nudge, your uh, the the speed with which everything else. Um, happens is, goes that much faster. So I think that there is also a sequencing in terms of that stack that will also get you there faster. You know, if it kind of sort of bubbles up from the bottom to the top, you know, it could take years before you get the right people um, uh, on at the board level. But if you stack your board with the right people asking the right questions, um, then the rest of the change is that much faster. Yeah, and it's interesting, uh, you know, the, normally when we think of the, of the word stack, it, it has... Um, negative connotations. Yeah, it's got a negative connotation. And, uh, and I think if I, I go back to the sporting um, arena, it's actually how do you actually recruit the, the top players? 
And uh, so you need to have people who are masterful in their particular role on a board. Hopefully we've got the person who's looking at the financial numbers. They just know exactly what to do. The person who's looking at risk, they know what to do there. The people who are trying to go and actually grow product to grow uh, the sophistication that they're serving their customers, uh, we've got to make sure that we've got the right people there. And I remember a brief that I had with BHP many years ago when I, I just came out and said, the only people who actually put money into this company are your customers, aren't they the most important people? And, and that, that surprised them. They were thinking, they, it was like, oh, that's not our culture. They wanted it to be their culture, but it actually wasn't their culture. So having customer need-focused products, having the idea that you're listening to what, what they need and being able to go execute that in a deft way is probably why companies like Nike, New Balance, Adidas or Adidas, as we said here, um, that they're running much faster than other contemporaries who might be in the textile, clothing and footwear industry because they're really performance-focused. Well, I'm, I'll talk to Adidas, for example, because, um, you know, I think all of that is a given in an era of, um, you know, consumers that can pick and choose online what they, what they want, where they want it. But Adidas has a significant investment um, in the innovation lab where they're constantly experimenting with new technologies. And that's not necessarily customer demand-led. It's like, how can we experiment and play with these technologies and then figure out how do we delight a customer with that? Because it's a little bit like the old Steve Jobs, you know, saying that, you know, no customer ever asked for an iPod or, a, you know, that sort of thing. It was how do what we know is people like to have music and how can we put it in their pocket and what's the technology that will enable us to do that? And so by experimenting with the technology, eventually you crack the means of delighting a customer in an unexpected way. Mm, and we and we see that you know the fast follower has uh, been very successful for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. That's true too. And uh, and uh, often we see the people who are purely experimentation and innovation based that they um, they burn more money than they recoup. And so I suppose it's a matter of getting intelligence or what's what's near market demand. What's the innovation tools that we've got that we've come up as our internal IP and when's it time to go and actually roll out one of those tools? And if I could think back to the music industry, you know, we we hear after a, a, an artist has died that there's 500 songs in a vault. And I think that's exactly the same as the, as the Adidas Innovation Lab. They've probably got 500 products in there, various technical innovations. But for the market at this time, there were 10 songs that Prince should have put on an album and they were the 10 that were released and they held back 490 that he'd recorded over the years because they weren't market fit. They might be in the future. But but I think also if you sort of realise how learning works is that learning, um, the 10 products that they may release stand on the shoulders of the learning of the 490 that they didn't release. And so it's really by having this diverse portfolio um, that it will and, 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 and looking across technologies um, that 
you're ultimately able to refine, you know, your 10 best. And this has been absolutely fantastic. I know you've got to go and get ready for today's briefing. Um, so thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to going and seeing what's going on. Should we catch up afterwards and and have a bit of a chat? Or do you think um, you'll let me go on my own and actually summarise what I saw? Oh, well, I'd be happy to check back in. But let me tell you what you're going to see today. So today's briefing will focus on experiential design. So I think that's a, that's a good tick for what you're interested in. And um, we will also be joined by one of our advisory board members who will be actually on the panel. Um, and her sweet spot is, you know, customer experience design. That's Vicky Cantrell. So I hope you enjoy it and uh, you'll learn something I'm fabulous. I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, and listeners, we'll give you a little bit of a wrap of what we saw there. We'll make sure that you've got the links to go through and, and see this episode as well. Try to make time to catch up with these briefings when they're going live because I've looked at I've looked at the at many of them and they just give me these nice little insights. It's like watching news that you can actually do business from. Um, even better if you can be here in person because what we do after the 20 minutes on Facebook is we actually then apply our QSAS tool to interrogate a topic. And so you're literally seeing a live demonstration of how we might apply it to arrive at specific insights. And that's part is not live streamed. So encourage anybody when they're in New York, come and visit us and uh, we, we can um, have you be a part of the audience um, for an hour. It sounds to me like there's going to be two of us out the front door here. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Mark.